Hi, this is Dave Olson. I'm the senior leader of Heartland Church located in Ankeny, Iowa. I hope the following message challenges, encourages, and ultimately changes you. Thanks for joining us. I'm actually going to be filling in for Pastor Dave this morning. Uh, So Pastor Dave is currently in Israel, and he's on a leadership trip. So you could be praying for him for his time there. Uh, Many of you have probably seen, I think he's been posting some on Facebook. Um, So many of you are kind of caught up to speed with that as well. But um, you could be praying for him for sure. A couple of quick announcements. So um, first off, there will be no uh, family night this coming Wednesday night. So uh, because of spring break. So if you come, we won't be here. So please don't come. Okay. And then um, the other thing that I wanted to mention was uh, this slide up on the, on the screen here. Um, in two weeks, uh, myself and my wife are going to be leading a class on the gift of prophecy. And this is part of the Heartland Personal Ministry Certification. So if you haven't been up to speed um, with what we're doing there, we, this is a, a, a series of classes that's making up the Heartland Personal Ministry Certification. Um, we've done three of the classes already. One of them was on kind of a foundational understanding of ministry. Um, two of them were on healing, so one on physical healing, one on emotional healing and deliverance, and then this last one is gonna be on prophecy. And so that's happening in two weeks, um, Sunday, March 26th, after church. I believe it's like from 1 to 1.15 to 4.30 or 1 to 4.30, something like that. Look, look on the screen or on the, if you sign up. Um, but we'd love to have you join us. If you haven't been a part of the first three, that's okay. Come and check it out. And what we'll be doing is we're going to be unpacking kind of what the biblical gift of prophecy is, um, how it functions in the local church, you know, what it is and also what it's not. And then we're going to be practicing actually ministering to and prophesying to one another. So it should be a good time. So we'd love to have you join us. Um, there's a QR code there. You can take a picture of that, and that'll take you right to a link to sign up if you would like. So... Okay, so let's go ahead, see if this works. Maybe. We were practicing before service and it was, it was working. Hey, it worked, look at that, good. So we'll see how this goes. They might have to kind of be catching up with me and that's okay if they do. Um, but today, I have a message that I've titled Unlocking the Gospel, okay? And uh, before we jump into it, I actually just wanna take a minute and I just wanna pray um, during worship, I just, I, I don't know if you guys felt it, but I just like sense this sweet presence of the Lord on us. Did you guys all feel that? And um, what I felt like the Lord was saying to me is that as, as, we're, as I'm teaching, as I'm going through this, I just feel like that presence of the Lord is going to, it's going to come in this room and like the, the sweetness of the gospel is going to be released afresh. And so, so I'm just going to pray to that end. So Holy Spirit, we just say, come Come, Holy Spirit, come, Holy Spirit, we welcome you here. Lord, we love your presence. We love your presence, and we know, Lord, when you come, everything changes. Everything shifts when your presence comes. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would come in this room. Come in this room, Lord, fall on us fresh with the sweetness of the gospel, with the good news of Jesus Christ. Lord, we welcome you here. We welcome your presence here. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, I want to start out with um, talking about the gospel story that I first heard, and for many of you, you likely heard as well. And the gospel story that I first heard went something like this. You and I were made for relationship with God, right? God created us. He designed us 
for a relationship. But through the fall, through Adam and Eve's sin, sin enters the world and relationship with God gets broken, right? It gets severed. It gets tainted. And because God loved us, he sent his only son, Jesus, right, to die on our behalf so that we can be reconciled to God, right? Because in order for sin to be dealt with, something has to die. And if we die, we go to hell. And so he sends Jesus on our behalf to die for us and bring reconciliation to God. And we get to be restored to God, and we get to go to heaven when we die. How many heard that gospel? Yeah, absolutely. That absolutely is a part of the gospel. It absolutely is a part of the gospel, and it's a key part of the gospel. But how many of you noticed when I shared that, I didn't mention anything about the resurrection? Anybody notice that? Right? I didn't, like, I didn't mention anything about the resurrection. And the reality is that what I just shared is accurate, but it's not fully complete. It doesn't tell the whole story of the gospel. You guys tracking with me? And so uh, for many years, I felt like I, I kind of had a, you know, a puzzle. Imagine a jigsaw puzzle. And if you had a jigsaw puzzle, you know, if Gary brought me a jigsaw puzzle... And it was a 500-piece puzzle, but he took 200 of the pieces out, what would happen? I'd put it together, and there would be some things that would be missing, right? It, it would maybe make some sense, but there would be components of it that were missing, okay? And so this morning, as we jump into this, I want to look at the gospel story in a fresh way, okay? I want to look at the gospel story in a fresh way, and you're going to have to bear with me um, I nerded out this week, and I made this chart. Okay, I made this chart because for me, it's helpful to get it all out on paper, right? It's helpful for me to kind of see and get it out on paper. And what I want to propose to you is this. The gospel story that I just shared with you is the top story there. It's the relationship story, and it's a part of the gospel. It's a part of the gospel. But there's actually a couple of other storylines Right? There's a couple of other storylines in the gospel, and those storylines are the storylines of identity and the storylines of destiny. And so what we're going to do here, I'll explain this as we go, what we're going to do here is we're going to walk through this chart, and what we're going to look at is the key story. On the top left there, you can see it says key story. So we're going to look at the key storyline. Another way to think about that might be the key problem, right? The key problem that was created as a result of the fall, okay? And then we're going to look at the original design. So for each of these, we're going to look at the original design. What was God's original design for humanity? What was God's original design for humanity? And then we're going to look at the result of the fall. What happened? What happened? What actually took place? What actually took place at the fall? And then we're going to look at Jesus and his arrival. We're going to look at what happened when Jesus came on the scene. And then we're going to look at the atonement, right? We're going to look at the atonement. So the atonement is a fancy way to talk about Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. It's the storyline that makes things right again, right? And then we're going to look at a key New Testament word for each of these storylines, okay? You guys tracking with me on this? All right. So, here's what I want to say. We're, what we're not talking about here is three separate Gospels. We're talking about one Gospel with three distinct 
storylines. Okay? Three distinct storylines. And the reality is that for each of us, we need each of these storylines to be written in our life. We need the gospel to touch the story of identity and to touch the story of relationship and to touch the story of destiny. And it happens in different ways for each storyline. They're interconnected, but they're distinct. Okay? So let's unpack this. Let's, let's do the first one. And I hope you guys can see. Um, if not, I'll be reading what's on the screen anyway. So um, the first one on relationship, we're going to look at the original design. So I already alluded to this, right? Originally, we were made for connection with and intimacy with God. That's how he designed us. Okay? So think about this. When God created, if you would read the beginning of the book of Genesis, when God was creating the world, he spoke everything into being. He spoke, right? He said, let there be light. But when he came to Adam and Eve, what did he do? He formed them. It was personal. It was intimate. He formed them from the dust, and he breathed his life on them. He breathed his life on them. And I think scripture paints this picture for a specific reason and so that we understand that we were made for relationship. That was the original design, right? And by the way, um, I really wanted to unpack and like do scripture for every single one of these, but then I decided everybody didn't want to be here till like two o'clock. So, so we're not going to do a scripture for every single one, although we could. And also, by the way, this is going to be posted online. So if you want this chart, um, they're going to post it online. I don't know exactly how they do that, but they're going to do that. So, all right. Okay, so we, so we have our original design for relationship. And as a result of the fall, what happens? We're estranged from God, right? Relationship with God is broken, and Adam and Eve are kicked out of the garden. And since that time, humanity's relationship with God is broken, right? So one of the clearest ways that I feel like we see this play out is actually in the way that unbelievers view their relationship with God, right? Or his perspective towards them, maybe more clearly. I have never met, maybe, maybe you have, but I have never met somebody who is not a believer in Jesus Christ who comes to the conclusion that God loves them and God likes them. They always, there's like this latent memory of being kicked out of the garden, and they always come to the conclusion that God doesn't really like me, Right? I'm broken, I'm, I, like, I'm, he's not pleased with me, okay? So Jesus, and then all of a sudden here we see Jesus come. So Jesus comes, and he comes on the story, and Jesus is a major contrast to humanity, is he not? He shows up, and he reveals intimacy with the Father. He comes, and he's walking in intimacy with the Father. He's walking in what humanity was originally designed to walk in, right? So if we were to read the New Testament, the Gospels, and look at the storyline of Jesus, we'd say, he, see him saying things like, Abba, Abba means daddy, papa, right? This was a contrast. This is a big contrast for the day. He comes, and he's revealing the original design of intimacy, at the atonement, so Jesus, and we already talked about this one, Jesus goes to the cross on our behalf to bring forgiveness and to bring reconciliation, right? That's what he does in the story of the relationship, in, in the story of relationship, okay? 
the New Testament word, oops, I went too far. I think it's the New Testament word that we see here. You can ignore the, the identity one. The New Testament word, the way this is actually fleshed out, the way that it's played out, if you read the New Testament, the key word that you see this story being written is the word grace, okay? The word grace. And grace means a lot of things. Like, we could unpack that in depth, but at the core of what it means, it means this. It means, I like you. I like you, right? God's saying, I am making a new covenant through the blood of Christ, and I'm restoring relationship, and I promise to like you. That's, that's what's happening in that storyline, right? And the way, that, the way that this story gets played out in our lives, the way that it actually fleshes out, when we actually get you know, connected to and tune in to the reality of this story, what begins to happen in our life is we begin to live under the smile of the Father, right? We begin, we begin to live under the smile of the Father, and we become aware of his favor and his grace on our lives. We become aware that he is for me. He is not against me, right? We become aware of that. That's the relationship story. Now let's go to the identity story, okay? So the relationship story is super important and it's the one that I led with, but we're gonna go further and we're gonna unpack another storyline and that's the storyline of identity, okay? And so the original identity, what we were originally called to walk in, was to be made in the image of and the likeness of God. So let's look at this scripture here out of the book of Genesis. So it's Genesis 1.26, and it says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Okay? And we're going to unpack this. We're actually going to go uh, further into the identity story today. So we're going to come back to this. But what we need to understand is that God made Adam and Eve, he made creation to be made in the image of and the likeness of God, to reveal God to the world. Okay? So as a result of the fall, what happens? Instead of revealing God, instead of imaging God, humanity began to image sin. Their nature was changed, right? They didn't just have an internal problem or an external problem of sinning, but they had an internal problem of being. They had a sin nature. And the image of God in humanity got distorted. And it's like if I took this water bottle and crinkled it all up, right? That's kind of what humanity became like, like a... a marred image of God, right? And Jesus comes, and when he comes, he comes doing what? Imaging God rather than sin. So Jesus comes with the original design intact as the visible image of the invisible God, right? The one, he, he could say things like, if you've seen the Father, you've seen me. And he could say it with integrity because he was intact. His original design was intact and he comes revealing the Father. Okay? And then the atonement. I don't know if you guys can see that. I couldn't make this any bigger because otherwise it went outside the boxes. So, I don't know. My tech skills are limited. So you have to bear with me. So, 
What it says is Jesus restores the image of God in us uh, as we are joined with Jesus in his death and in his resurrection. So here's where the resurrection piece actually comes in, right? The resurrection piece actually comes in here. And the idea behind the identity story is that we are baptized with Jesus into his death and we are raised to the newness of life, right? And the key word that we see in the New Testament, the key way that this plays out is that we become, we walk in righteousness, right? So if you read the New Testament, the way that you identify this story being told is the word righteous. And I want to propose to you, some of you have probably heard this, I know I did. Um, I have heard that righteousness means that we're in right standing with God. How many have heard that, right? And, and I think there's an element of truth to that. But the problem with that is it's actually in the relationship story. Right standing indicates that we're in right relationship. And what I want to propose to you is that righteousness actually goes a layer deeper. Right? It actually goes a layer deeper than that. And what it actually means is that we're right in being. We're back to the state of our original design. That's what it's talking about. Okay? Let's go to the destiny story. So there's a third storyline. And again, these all kind of run parallel, right? The destiny story, humanity, our original design is that we are given dominion. We're given dominion and authority over creation, okay? So we're going to go back to the text in Genesis here. There, oops. So Genesis 1.26, it's the same text. I'll read it again. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over, over the livestock and over every creeping thing that lives on the earth. So God's original design for humanity was to be in relationship, to be his face, to be his imager, and to have dominion, to be his hands. That's what this is talking about. And, of course, as a result of the fall, what happens? The authority, the dominion that we were given was taken away. It was hijacked by Satan, right? And he becomes the God of this world. And then we see Jesus come on the scene. And Jesus comes and he does what? He's undoing, he's destroying the works of the devil. He's, re he's reclaiming the dominion that humanity had. That's what he's doing. When he heals people, he's reclaiming the dominion. When he raises the dead, he's reclaiming the dominion. When he casts out demons, he's reclaiming the dominion. Okay? So at the atonement, catch this, at the atonement, what happens in the destiny story? Jesus restores authority to humanity through his death but then also through his resurrection, through the victory of the resurrection, and through his ascension. So what happens? He ascends, and what happens when he ascends? Here comes Holy Spirit, right? Here comes Holy Spirit, and what does Holy Spirit do? He puts that authority, Jesus says, all authority's been given to me, here it is, here it is. That's what happens, and he gives, he reclaims, and he restores that dominion story, okay? So if we were to read the New Testament, the way that we would see this revealed is through the word kingdom. Kingdom, right? So the word kingdom is the king's domain, 
It's dominion. It's a restoration of dominion. If you guys have been part of the classes that we've been doing, we've been talking about this idea of healing and the idea of the kingdom breaking in. The kingdom's actually an event. It's not a place. It's actually something that happens. It's actually something that takes place in our lives, right? And through the gospel, dominion is restored to us, okay? Are you guys tracking with me on all this? Okay, so I know that this is very, in some ways, very simple, but the reality is that I think for a lot of us, sometimes there can be confusion about, like, how do these pieces all fit together? And, like, what exactly does that look like, right? And what we need, I want to propose to you this, we need God to write the storyline of each of these into our own life, into our lives, okay? And as he does, we will grow in our effectiveness for the kingdom of God, right? We will grow in our fruitfulness. And so I'm going to put up a graphic here. We're going to move past the chart. I'm going to put up a graphic here. Maybe. There it is. Okay. So for some of you know what I do for a full-time job. Some of you don't. I'm actually in agricultural sales. Okay, so I sell seed for a living. And uh, this is a diagram that we use, and we talk about it as the law of the limiting factor, okay? The law of the limiting factor. And the idea with this diagram, you can see that there's a barrel up here, and there's staves. Do you see the upright individual staves on the barrel? And the idea is that if you're going to maximize your yield in a corn crop, say, for example, if you're going to maximize your yield, what you need to do is maximize the stave on each barrel. Because whichever stave representing a nutrient or whatever factor it is, whichever one is the lowest actually becomes the high water mark. It actually becomes the top of the yield that you can get. Okay? And I think, I wasn't tech savvy enough to put this in here, but I think that we could put each one of these storylines as a stave in that barrel. Right? So we could put identi the identity story and we could put the destiny story, and we could put the relationship story. And the thing that, the principle here is that whichever one of those storylines is the least developed in our life, that God has written the story to the least degree, actually becomes our high watermark. It becomes the, the limiting capacity for God to move through our life. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. So here's what I want to do. For, for many of us, we understand the relationship story. I started with that. It's one that, uh, you know, it, it's common. A lot of us have something there, for sure, okay? But what I have found over the years is the identity story is actually, for many people, the lowest stave, okay? And so we're going to spend the remainder of our time unpacking the identity story and learning to understand that. Does that sound good? So we're actually going to go through the same five things, but we're just going to do it in greater depth. Okay. So in the identity story, I want to start with this. I am not who I think I am. No matter how close or no matter how far away, I'm not who I think I am, but I am who God says that I am. Okay? In other words, the starting point, the starting point for our identity can't be our own opinion of ourselves. It has to be God's opinion. It has to be God's opinion. 
And the reality is that for many of us, what can happen in our lives is we have an opinion of ourselves that is different than what God's is. But when we do that, you know what that actually is called? That's called pride. That's called saying, God, I know better about myself than you know about me. And so I want to, say, I want to suggest to you this. The starting place for identity is humility. Right? It's, it's saying, I may not feel it. I may not believe it. I may not understand it. But God, what you say to be true about me is actually true about me. You are God and I am not. Okay? That's the starting point for this journey of identity. A couple weeks ago in the class, we looked at this text. It's delayed. I can feel it buzz, but then it doesn't go. There it goes. A couple weeks ago in the class, we looked at this text. It's out of 2 Corinthians. It says this. uh, Chapter 10, verses 3 through 6. So, for, the, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Okay? So I underline there arguments, arguments and every lofty opinion. You know what those arguments and every lofty opinion are? That's those places of pride where we go, hey God, I don't really think of myself the way that you think about me, right? And the knowledge of God there, it's not talking about knowledge about God, it's talking about knowledge that belongs to God. In other words, it's the thing that he knows to be true. It's the thing that he knows to be true about me. And so what we're gonna do here together, we're gonna do this collectively together, is we're gonna take our lofty opinions of ourselves, and we're going to say, all right, for the next 20 minutes or 30 minutes, we're going to submit these things in humility under what God says to be true about, the, about us, yeah. right? And we're going to receive and we're going to accept the identity that God actually gave to us. Does that sound good? All right, so let's unpack this together. I'm going to come back to the exact same scripture. We're going to look at this over and over, okay? So Genesis 1, 26, the first part. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image and after our likeness. Okay? So our original design was to be made in the image of and the likeness of God. So the question is, what exactly does that mean? Right? What is it made to be made in the image and the likeness of God? So first off, let's talk about image. So if we're made in the image of God, we're designed to carry the ability to point to or to create a recognition of the thing that we're imaging. In other words, the original design was that when the world saw us, they would see God. That was the original design. Okay? So I have up here a dollar bill, and I realize you guys won't be able to see it. But on the front of a dollar bill is what? George Washington, right? Is it, this is George Washington? Yeah. Actually, it's not. I kind of baited you guys. It's not George Washington. This is paper, and this is ink. It's paper, and it's ink. But it is an image of George Washington. And what it does is it creates a recognition in us. So none of us have met George Washington. I know some of us are older, but I don't think any of us are that old. <laughs> Right, But if George Washington walked through that door right there, we would recognize him because of why? 
we've seen images, right? We've seen images. That's, we're, we're actually designed to be made in the image of God, okay? And then likeness. So how does likeness differ from image? So if we're made in the likeness of something, we're made in a similar way or with the same shape, okay? So likeness is about shape. So for example, a glove is made in the likeness of a hand. Does that make sense? So a hand is not a glove, and a glove is not a hand, but they do have similar features. Does that make sense? And so when we're made in the likeness of God, when that's our original design, we're actually made in, in his likeness. We're, we have the similar features, right? The idea here is that humanity is actually different from everything else, right? Every other thing in creation isn't made in the likeness of God. You can't see God. I mean, you can see parts of God through creation, but not like you can in humanity, right? That's why Jesus can say, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father, okay? Um, By the way, the way that this actually fleshes out, so if we were to kind of flesh this out, well, what does that mean? Well, it means that all the things that you say about yourself, you know, I wish I was more that, or I wish I wasn't this, right? We all have them. Many of those things, those features, those characteristics that God gave us actually are made in his likeness. They're actually made in his likeness, right? And what we want to be careful of is that we don't reject the likeness of God in ourselves. I've heard Bill Johnson before say, if you knew who God made you to be, you'd never want to be anybody else. If you knew who God made you to be, you'd never want to be anybody else because you are made in the likeness and the image of God. That's true. That's true. Okay? All right. So what happened as a result of the fall? So uh, the result of the fall was this, that we had not only an external problem of sinning, but now we had a being problem. The problem went deeper Right? I already alluded to that. The problem went deeper. And the image of God in humanity gets distorted. Okay? Does that make sense? So let's, let's look at a scripture here. So Romans chapter 5, verse 19. It says this. For as the one man's disobedience, talking about Adam, for as the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners... So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Okay? So what I want you to catch there is that, again, it's not talking about the external problem of sinning. It's talking about being. It's, it's, it's language that's deeper than that. Okay? And um, it's, it's kind of like this. This is a helpful analogy for me. So imagine that Adam is the master copy. Right? Like if you were going to make copies of something. Adam is the master copy. Right? And it's kind of like after Adam, all of humanity is kind of copied after him, right? And what actually winds up happening is that we need a new master copy, right? We have a broken master copy. We can't make copies of this one anymore. We need to get a new one, right? That's what, ha- what happens. And I think for me, um, one of, a, a very helpful understanding would be um, thinking about dandelions, Okay? How many of you have a yard that you have dandelions in? 
You guys are good yard takers. I, my yard is full of dandelions, okay? And what happens each spring, so, I mean, it seems like it's a long ways out now, but I don't think it is. Each spring, the dandelions in my yard show up. And I can go out and I can mow my yard, and what will happen if I do that? Problem solved, right? Dandelion's gone for like 24 hours. Because I didn't actually deal with the root issue, right? I didn't actually get down below the surface. The, sur- the problem isn't actually above the surface. It's actually below the surface, right? And that's what happened with humanity. The problem was actually below the surface. So let's look at another scripture here. This is in Genesis, and it alludes to this idea. So Genesis 5, 1 through 3, says, This is the book of the generations of Adam, When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. So God made Adam in the likeness of God. We already established that. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness. Right? So so Adam, or yeah, Adam uh, fathers a son in his, in Adam's likeness. Right? After his image, and he named him Seth. Okay, so here we are, we've established that, that we have this problem of identity that actually goes deeper than just external sin, it's a, it's a nature thing, and uh, the problem is, with the first gospel story that I told you, I told you about a gospel of forgiveness, I told you about a gospel of forgiveness, but the challenge is that forgiveness can reconcile us to somebody, but it can't actually change our nature, Right? It, doesn't, it, it doesn't go to that deeper level. And so we needed the gospel to go to a deeper layer. Okay, So in comes Jesus. So let's look at, at Jesus here. So Jesus arrives on the scene, scene. And Jesus comes as a reboot. A reboot of creation. A new lineage. He actually comes as a new lineage. Right? The virgin birth is actually really significant for this theology. Right? The virgin birth is actually really significant for this theology. And so Jesus comes as a new lineage for humanity, and he reveals again the image of God. Okay? So uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22, for as in Adam, right? As in Adam all die, so also in Christ, all shall be made alive, right? So Jesus often is called the second Adam or the last Adam, right? It's alluding to this concept that there's a whole new lineage being established. Let's look at this one a few verses later. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 45 through 49 says this. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of dust. It's talking about original humanity, right? Under Adam. And as is the man of heaven, Jesus, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of dust, of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Do you see the language that's being used here? It's addressing this being problem, right? And it's talking about 
exchanging our identity, being born of Adam, being you know, in the image of Adam to being born in, in, in the image of Christ. Okay? So here we are, and we've kind of established... Oh, I forgot these. So I've already talked about these couple scriptures. Um, so the, the image, Jesus images God. So John 14, uh, 9, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Right? He can actually say that with integrity. He can actually say that if you've seen me as a human being, you've actually seen the Father. I bear the image of God. Right? He can actually say that where we couldn't. Right? Or this, whoops, went past it. Uh, this passage out of Colossians, he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Okay? So, so here we are. We've established that we're made in the image of God that's broken through sin and distorted. And we need to be made and put into the lineage of Christ, into a new lineage. Right? Does that make sense? And so the question is, how do we go about that? How is God going to go about making that happen in our lives? And you know what he says? I think I'll kill them. That's what he said. I think I'll kill them. Because the only way to solve a being problem is to start all over. So imagine that you are in your bathroom and you're brushing your teeth. Okay, you're brushing your teeth in your bathroom and the toothbrush slips out of your hand and falls in the toilet. That toothbrush has a being problem. <laughs> that toothbrush has a being problem. So what you probably wouldn't do is get it out and rinse it off and keep brushing, right? You probably wouldn't do that. You probably wouldn't even bleach it. You wouldn't bleach it and use it. You would go, heck with that. Toothbrushes aren't supposed to go in toilets. I'm getting rid of this thing and I'm getting a new toothbrush. Isn't that what you would do? And that's exactly what happens in the atonement. That's what happens in the atonement. Okay? So uh, I put up here that Jesus dies as us so that we can live as him. And I want you to notice, take, take specific notice of the language. What I didn't say is Jesus died for us. That is true. He did die for us. Okay? And that solved the relationship problem. But for the identity problem to be solved, he didn't just need to die for us so that we could have forgiveness. He needed to die as us so that we could actually be die and made new. Does that make sense? And so we're going to read this story here, or this text, and what I want you to pay attention to is the language of union. Okay, The language of identity being restored is language of union. So it says this. Uh, Romans 6, verses 3 through 5, and then verse 11. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried with him. We were buried with him. Therefore, uh, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united, if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Okay? And it goes on. I didn't have space to put it all in there, and I, uh, I could have. But it goes on and on and on. It talks about how we you know, died in Christ and we're brought back to new life. And at the end of the, the passage, in verse 11, it says this. So you, so you must also consider yourselves 
dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. In other words, if we are going to consider ourselves in the same way that God considers us, we must consider ourselves dead and born again. That's, that's how God considers us. What it's not saying, what we're not talking about here is that none of us are ever going to sin. It's not saying we don't have the capacity to make mistakes or anything like that. What it's saying is you have a new nature. In Christ, you have a new nature. Your, your identity is not fundamentally a sinner anymore. That's not God's lens of you. It's that you are a saint. That's actually God's lens of you. Okay? So the idea in the New Testament is that we are now restored to our original design and made righteous. There's that word again, righteous. We're made righteous. Right in being. Right in being. Not just right in relationship. We are right in relationship, but we are right in being. You have a new nature. Let's look at this text. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5 Verse 21. And we could look at a lot of texts that unpack this, but 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21 says this. For our sake, for our sake, because he loved us, he made him to be sin, talking about Jesus, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is really good news. This is really, really good news. And the reality is that this is ultimately the truth about you. It is the truth about you. You are righteous. You are righteous. In God's eyes, you are righteous. And the thing about being righteous, the thing about being righteous is that we bear on the outside what's reality on the inside. You guys know that? Internal reality actually creates external reality. And so it's very important for us in this story that we accept what God says to be true about us. Because as we do, we'll begin to walk in righteousness. And the tree will bear good fruit. Does that make sense? So, um, Jason, do you want to come back up here? I don't know where you went. So here's what I want to do. Um, why don't we go ahead and stand here? And I'm so thankful that we have some time here. Um, and what I want to do is I just want to invite the Holy Spirit, okay? We're going to invite the Holy Spirit. And what I, what I believe that he wants to do today is for many of us, he wants to give us an upgrade. He wants to give us an upgrade, right? He wants to give us an upgrade to walk as righteous sons and righteous daughters. He wants to reveal. So I can tell you all about this. I can give you all the information, but the reality is it requires the Spirit of God to bring transformation, right? And so that's what we're going to do. Does that sound good? All right. So Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, if you're comfortable, you can just put your hands out before him. Holy Spirit, I just say thank you. Thank you for your presence here today. Lord, I thank you. I say thank you for the simple but profound gospel. The gospel that not only restores us to relationship with you, but restores us, it restores our identity. 
Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help more people hear this message, you can get the word out by subscribing and sharing it on social media. If you'd like to support the ministries of Heartland Church, you can do so at heartlandchurchonline.com give.